Welcome to episode 57 of The Process, God's Timing. Welcome to episode 57 of The Process. I am Amante Martin. Today we have Miss Janika Harris on the podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Janika. Hey, thank you for having me. Could you tell the listeners where you're from? I'm from Tallahassee, Florida. 850 to Tallahassee, Florida. What was it like growing up in Tallahassee? Growing up in Tallahassee, it's pretty low key. It's a slow vibe. Um, I know Tallahassee's known to be country, um, as it, it is in the South. Growing up for me, I come from a well-functioning family, gracefully. I stay uh, with both of my parents, raised by both of my parents. Uh, Mom and dad, I think in that environment, uh, me and my sibling, we we were able to see how, you know, two people come together as one and work together. I think uh, we had a a caring environment. Um, We felt a sense of belonging. There was a lot of open communication. I would say it was uh, a normal functioning family, but it wasn't perfect. I don't think any family is perfect, but I think for the most part, we had a good background. Both of my parents are educated. I like to say I'm a daddy's girl, but I get a lot of things from my mother um, in terms of attitude and how I move and things like that. So it's a beautiful thing. Being raised in Tallahassee, I I wouldn't regret it. So what, you know, looking back at high school, um, before we get to your college college uh, career, what was your career aspiration? What did you want to be, quote unquote, when you grew up? Initially, I wanted to be a nurse because um, I thought I liked to take care of people. I mean, I do, um, but as I realized, I don't want to deal with bodily fluids and all that, all that jive. It changed uh, to more of a, a social sciences type of field and then I thought about it I said well let me do um, something like healthcare administration where I can get the business and clinical best of both worlds Um, not so much clinical where I'm dealing with bodily fluids and like people but most of business analytical finance aspects so I think moving from high school and those aspirations into 
Um, I went to TCC, so I started off in a smaller classroom setting to kind of prepare me to be transferred to um, a university of my choosing um, where I can get finish my degree in healthcare administration. That was what I finally chose to select. And um, I went to University of Central Florida to get my bachelor's in healthcare administration. And I would not trade that experience uh, for the world. Um, I think it was a great uh, time spent in Orlando, Florida. Um, I enjoyed the campus. I met a lot of people. I think it gave me a good uh, foundation into the field and profession that I'm in right now in public health. So having that background in healthcare administration gave me a lot of vantage points, very broad. So I had a, a lot of access to community health, uh, faith-based initiatives, um, knowing how to, learning how to write grants, that doing a lot of research, um, data analytics, a little bit of uh, health law at the undergrad level. I mostly uh, dived into that a little deeper, getting my master's in public health when I was at the University of South Florida. So I think it, it set the tone for where I'm at now, um, especially with my on-the-job experience at the community level with community initiatives. So, so take, take us back a little bit from high school to uh, community college. You know, some people go straight to university or some people go to the workforce. How was that transition from you going from high school to community college? High school, community college, it was almost like going to the 13th grade. Um, <laughs> I enjoyed it. I think it was a smart move for me. It allowed me to um, kind of get acclimated to the like a, a college setting or a feel um, before jumping straight into the university of the larger classrooms. Um, I personally like to take uh, my learning uh, slow and take my take my time. So I knew that I didn't want to be overwhelmed with the large class sizes, just jumping right into the university. And I also wanted to stay home a little bit uh, for a, a little while longer so I can um, finish working. Um, I, I was making some coins that I wanted to save. <laughs> Before I moved, so I was um, learning about financial responsibility at the same time, um, going from high school to uh, TCC. So I, I wanted to have something established as a, as a part of that process before I jumped into the to the big kids, you know, playground at the at the larger university. And even when I got to the larger campus, it was still like 350 students, but it wasn't it wasn't so overwhelming. So I wanted to basically pace myself and going that route from high school to community college that really set the tone for me and helped me uh, establish some balance and do other things that I wanted to complete before diving straight into the university scene, the, the large campus scene. So, so being born and raised in Tallahassee, um, how was that transition to Orlando, to the University of Central Florida? It was a culture shock. Um, I say that because um, Tallahassee, it is different um, in, in many in many ways. It has a lot of undertones of, you know, I would just say it, uh, race, racism and things like that. I'm pretty sure that's in different parts of the world, uh, everywhere. But in Orlando, you have a mixed um, population. So I, I felt more at at home culturally in Orlando than I did here in Tallahassee, although I knew people here in Tallahassee. But the feel and the vibe in Orlando, um, I felt a little bit more of a connection, um, especially with the foods and the restaurants that they have there. It's just more of a variety 
You got the Caribbean culture. You have, um, I like Jamaican food, Cuban food. Everybody know I like to eat. Um, but <laughs> in Tally, you don't get that. It's just a straight American. You know, you got your steak, but your longhorn is just very simple. Um, one restaurant, you know, here, there, it's not a lot of variety. So I was into the culture um, in Orlando and it gave me a lot of variety of, of things to do, shopping malls, um, people speak to you like on campus, people sat next to you without having to ask you, you know, questions like if it's okay. They just came and openly, you know, had a conversation with you. If I was in Tallahassee, maybe at a PWI or another campus, people probably look at you sideways. And it, you know, they don't know, they'll say, I don't know you like that, you know, something yeah. like that. I didn't, I didn't get that. I didn't get that when I was in Orlando. It was, it was like home. Um, so I, I, I believe that I said, okay, this is where um, I'm comfortable. I, I made friends easily, and that, and I, I like how that, how that went, that transition uh, from Tallahassee. I thought it was going to be a little difficult. So to me, it was a culture shock because I didn't realize how people were so open and welcoming and warm. Hey, you know, let's hang out, that kind of thing, or. You know, I'll come pick you up, and it's not on like a spooky type of thing, like it's a creep. They really want to spend time with you, and you know, they noticed they know I didn't have a car at that time, so they were willing to take me to the store and didn't really want anything, you know, from me. So sometimes it just depends, you know, for me as a person. But for me, I felt I felt at home in Orlando. You know, what motivated you doing your undergrad career at University of Central Florida for you to want to pursue a master's degree? Uh, well, initially, I wanted to um, see, I got my bachelor's at UCF and then my master's in public health at University of South Florida. So before I applied to UCF, I applied to uh, FAMU um, and I actually applied to FAMU twice, but we will talk about my, my master's in a minute. So apparently I didn't have enough experience or on the job experience as they had wanted me to at FAMU. So they did not accept me, um, but UCF did. Um, and that was one of the things I ran into, you know, wanted to have the black experience while being black. <laughs> so I did try, try you know, but um, I didn't I didn't feel like, you know, if, if the rejection was there, maybe it's not meant for me to be there. So um, I will go to where I was accepted and see how that experience, um, where that will take me. And that's the same thing happened for University of South Florida. Get my master's of public health. I applied to the public health program at FAMU and I was rejected and that's fine. So yeah, I, I, I wanted to do undergrad at UCF. Um, actually it was my backup. Um, so I went there, enjoyed everything, um, got involved in student organizations and groups. Um, I think my favorite one was Caribbean Student Association. Um, and I, again, the food, that's why I was linked or drawn to it because they all <laughs> eating. <laughs> so um, I'm like, okay, potluck, meatloaf, I'm there, let's do this. <laughs> so that was good, but in terms of academics, that was no doubt, it was no doubt about that I was gonna do good in that. Um, my dad is a professor, so it's just in my blood to to do well. And if I don't do well, I might get I might get chewed up, you know, behind the scenes because I probably didn't spend enough time in my studies. But undergrad at UCF was really good. I enjoyed that time there. 
I think um, pursuing healthcare administration, it's a growing uh, academic program, degree program. I think a lot of people are pursuing it because of the variety that it, it gives you. You can, you can be, um, you can go on so many professional paths with it in terms of doing health law or um, Juris Doctorate, and you can kind of get the dual degrees with it too um, as well. So it depends on what you want to do with it, healthcare administration, or you want to be a hospital administrator um, or a nursing home administrator. Initially, I wanted to be a hospital administrator, but I said, mm, that's mostly on the finances side and I'm not a real finance guru to me to kind of make sure the, you know, the hospital is in good condition. I was more clinical data, public health, ish. Um, so I was trying to lean more into the public health and prevention of disease and illness. So that's why I went to pursue my master's in public health. Um, so I can get a broader view of public health um, with the background in healthcare administration. So bringing those together, bringing those two curriculums and degree programs together, I think I'm a little well-rounded in public health prevention because you can do a lot with it, especially with public and I know that's a, it's also one of the top degree programs as well, very competitive at certain schools. So I'm, I think that's where I'm at with that. I, I, public health is my thing. So um, considering the pandemic we're in, I'm all like eyes and ears open, prevention and how, um, how things can be, how the, the curve can be flattened. If it's flattening, I don't think it is, but um, <laughs> the opportunity for it to be flattened if everybody um, just took the uh, precaution and preventative measures so in terms of research and, and just like the curriculum that you had to do once you went to the University of South Florida how was it different from undergrad and you know what was your biggest takeaway from from grad school I was I know both of them are PWIs the culture and the vibe there was just um, just the same as UCF. Now with my masters, I was I went on campus um, about three times, and I say that because I took classes online. Mm -hmm. The master's program was fully online, so that I could work um, at my corporate job. Um, so I was also I was able to work on my masters and also work um, at that time. Research is very interesting. I like research a lot. Um, you can you can do a lot with research and depending on what you're trying to look for and what, what you're going for, it's a, it's a, depending on the topics, you can kind of work it in different ways. Um, so at UCF, I didn't do a lot of research, only if it was like a research assignment. Um, when I was working on my master's, I did my practicum. The focus was on maternal and child health uh, with a specific focus on low birth weight and um, preterm birth. So that's my, that, that's like my, my specialty or my interest, um, focus on women's health. And so digging into that and understanding the, the determinants of preterm birth for women, um, all women, in particular black women, I think um, that gave me a lot of insight into where we are now with the social unrest and, you know, the other risk factors that are causes for a preterm birth. So I think I got more research experience working on my master's um, than I did when I was at UCF. When I did my master's, I had to, I was on campus in uh, West Lafayette, Indiana. Mm -hmm. So I, I want to know, like, what was the difference, you know, t pursuing a master's and working at the same time? You know, how was that? I like to, well, see, I'm, a, I'm different. I like to pack my 
pack my uh, to-do list with work. Um, I think I know I'm a type A. So for it to be difficult, it had to be really challenging. You know, it had to be like maybe I had to sit out a semester for like a health condition or something. That To me, that was my challenge, which it actually did happen. Um, I had to get surgery. So I think putting my studies on pause for a semester, um, that was my biggest obstacle because it I didn't feel like I was accomplishing anything. I would kind of beat myself up in that regard because I was like, ah, oh, dang, I got to get surgery now. I, I can't do my research. I can't, you know, do my work. Um, so that was uh, that was the primary challenge for me. Um, working at the same time as getting my degree, I believe that gave me a little bit more uh, motivation. It, uh, it made me a little bit more ambitious um, because I had the opportunity to work and I actually got my foot in the door at a, you know, at the Department of Health um, for the state. So I felt like, you know, can't nobody tell me nothing. Cause mm. I, although it wasn't in the, you know, in the particular, you know, field or the, on along the same lines of work, cause I was in quality improvement and um, the Division of Quality Improvement at that time, I, I know it's been so many changes, but I just wanted to get my foot in the door. Um, because a lot of people wanted to work at the Department of Health, but they couldn't get in. So um, I just felt like that was a blessing for me to even get my foot in the door. So I would try to do anything in my power to do my best, like my level best in whatever position, whether I had to start small. And I, I worked my way up to where I really wanted to be in the department um, before I uh, transferred to another state government agency. I like work. I think <laughs> I think working and going to school for me, I saw it in a more positive regard um, because mm -hmm. a lot of people aren't fortunate to be able to do that. Um, it's either one or the other, uh, you know, for some certain people. And I think that kind of allowed me to be flexible um, and multifaceted in a sense um, where you have to, it's kind of like life, you know, when you get a lot of things thrown your way, how, how you manage your time and how much time do you spend on one thing? Managing your time, just doing your best. So I think, I think I like it. You know, I don't know. Maybe, <laughs> maybe I'm weird. <laughs> um, the only challenge for me, all in all, was you know having to sit out because I had to get surgery. Um, I had health com health complications. You know, every time you're trying to achieve something big, something kind of hits you right before you get to the finish line, and that was one of those things. So I think if you know the surgery took me out, or at least it tried to. And I, I, I got back, put my skates back on, and I went straight for the finish line. And so once I graduated, I was like, okay, we in here. I think yeah. I could, you know, but it gets it gets better from here. So I, being able to, you know, not be on pain meds and still trying to do a discussion post <laughs> and read and not fall asleep, I think that kind of, you know, made me a little bit more stronger. Um, in terms of, you know, exercising my mental and kind of stretching myself a little bit. So that was, that was, that was the biggest challenge for me, that daggone surgery. What did you learn from yourself, you know, having to, you know, battle back, bounce back from having surgery and completing uh, school and working? That took a lot of prayer, um, for sure. I think when being that we're some, you know, as a people, we're always operating, have to operate at our optimal. Mm -hmm. every every single day and like going 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 anytime like my doctor say oh you're on your deathbed 
um, but I know you're, you'll come up out of it, you know, come from out of anesthesia, that I felt like I was at my lowest point, even though, you know, people are like, oh, you're still, you're fine, you know, you're recovering fast, good job, hand clap. And I'm like, nah, like, this wasn't in my plan. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, people say, oh, it's the part of, you know, God's larger plan. But I was like, nah, this wasn't supposed to happen because I was supposed to graduate, you know, this time on my timeline. And then um, I had to, you know, shut myself up. I said, but yeah, y'all right. My timeline really don't matter, right? Yeah. You So having to take a, um, a sit down and a, a step back and say, okay, God, whatever you want me to do, however you have, you know, whatever this you're taking me through, give me the strength to get through it um actually leaning into him so it, it allowed me some time to have one-on-one time with god um and i've had two more surgeries after that first surgery so i think that's his way of sitting me down somewhere in a way to um reconnect uh with him and uh he wanted me to experience his fullness um the fullness of him so having to go through the through the you know the wilderness so you say of recovery and being in pain, not taking pain medicine, um, needing help uh, to the bathroom, that kind of thing, where you feel helpless, but then you're like, oh, I still have help around me, like my family. So social support is very important to me, uh, my family. So without them, I don't really know if I'd be still, you know, having the the momentum and the the get up and the bounce back if I didn't have positive social support um, as they as they provided. So I would say uh, leaning and trusting in God for the most part and um, him having my family around to help me through that recovery. So I wasn't alone, right? And even if I was alone, I had to fix my thoughts on um, his mighty like and healing power. Like, you know, like what whatever, He's Jehovah Jireh. So me learning about that and reading more about that and how, you know, he heals people um, and how he's mighty and he's just God all by himself, that helped me with the bounce back. So like my next surgery, I was like, I'm in here. Like what y'all need? Pre-ops? What? No pressure. <laughs> like we can do this. Cause I already knew I was gonna be, I'm gonna be all right. I've been here before, right? Um, and it, you know, whatever he has, throughout this surgery process, I we will just have to do it. So it, it was a good a good way for me to understand um, and, and draw near and closer to God. I think something that I'm hearing is that not only did you get experience going to school and working in that area in your field, but also personally, you know what I'm saying? You probably gained some type of purpose through what you went through and I, that was, that's kind of leading to my next question is that what do you feel is your purpose in terms of public health and do you feel like your life experiences align with that purpose absolutely good question um my purpose in public health i i do know that with um the condition i do have you know ain't no shame i have endometriosis so it's a reproductive inflammatory disorder and many times um, you experience, well, women experience pain, a lot of pain during when their cycle comes on, not to get too like womanly, but I believe in public health. Um, I, I think I am, my purpose is to be a voice for just 
spreading awareness about what that is. And I know there's some sites and information and a lot of information on the website about it, but um, coming from, uh, you know, being a black woman, I think it's important that we um, have a higher self-awareness of our bodies and um, not to dismiss the pain that we experience and not to say, oh, that's just because my cycle's on or, you know, it's, it, to dismiss that, but to really be like, wait a minute, something ain't right. You know, it's kind of like your body talks to you to let you know what's wrong. Um, and I think that's how I was diagnosed. Um, you know, initially I wouldn't have went to go get surgery if I didn't listen to my body. So I think my purpose in public health with that is to be the voice for African-American women, all women, you know, in general, but uh, specifically um, African-American women, minorities, to really be uh, self-advocates for their health and their bodies and to listen to um, what their bodies, you know, are, are telling them to maybe go to the doctor, get a checkup and ask questions. And then it's like on top of that, what questions do we ask our doctor? That kind of thing. So I, um, public health is, is core for me. So I think I can use that as a, as a vehicle um, with my experience to get the word out, raise awareness. Not so much about just endometriosis, but fibroids as well. Um, apparently I have small ones. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Either one at this point, they don't cause me pain anymore. Um, as much as they did uh, about uh, a year and a half ago. So I think public health is really helping me getting get the message out, you know, whenever I do finish this project I have on the side to roll out and um, be the voice for women to, you know, take charge of their bodies in that regard. So, yeah. I wanna ask, how do you, what would you recommend either from life experiences or from a professional perspective? You know, how would you recommend women approach uh, doctors with when they listen to their body? Because women may feel the pain, but mm -hmm. once they present it to a doctor, you know, it's a lot of research out there on maternal justice and things like that. Mm -hmm. You know, how do you hold your, your, your physician accountable in those situations? The thing is, um, you have to first, I believe, um, no matter the doctor, they should all be culturally competent. Um, and we all know that many of the doctors they're they're not but my doctor that i have and i can only speak from my personal experience um i pretty much tell him what's wrong with me and he listens um and that's a that's a that's a blessing because uh, sometimes doctors will most times doctors dismiss the pain that we're um, experiencing um and they'll say oh that's a that's you know that's because you're doing this or that's because you need to change your diet or that's because and all those things might be true but a woman would need to be very um stern and i want to say about that life you know kind of like hey i know <laughs> i know what i'm feeling here don't you know don't dismiss me you know kind of really get serious about this pain is not normal you know kind of you have to stand up for yourself um, or bring somebody with you, uh, somebody to explain the pain that you're having. And you know, doctors they like the the terms or the what is it, the medical terminology or how you say it on a scale of one to ten. Yeah. You know, one being they like that type of language. So when you talk that language, they're like, oh, she knows what she's talking about. Oh, um, so if I say on a scale of one to ten, ten being the worst pain, one being not so much. If I say nine, I'm in pain. And then if I tell you, I feel like my pressure is increasing, I think I need to go see somebody and they don't make a move, um, that's that's scary for me. 
um, just to know that doctors don't take it seriously because they think that we might be over exaggerating. Um, but I, I think it takes, I guess, a different, a, a person with a strong personality. Uh, I'm pretty outspoken when it comes to like, hey, I know what I'm talking about, you, you know. Um, either you go, you know, give me a referral to go get an ultrasound, I'll demand an ultrasound because that's the only way you'll detect anything, you know, for those type of conditions uh, for endometriosis or fibroids. So if I feel, I say, you know, intuition indifferent, or if I'm, you know, I'm in pain and I know I shouldn't be in pain, I would request, um, I go to the doctor, let them do a physical, you know, pay that copay, whatever you got to do, um, and request an ultrasound. Mm -hmm. That's what I do. Every time I feel like, oh, wait a minute, something ain't right, let me, let me go. So that's that's one of my, um, that's my top two things I do. I say, hey, I don't, you know, I'm feeling pain on, you know, my right side or my left side. Um, on a, and this is what I tell the nurse when I call the nurse or talk to make an appointment. I give them that scale on a one to 10. Hey, I'm at an eight. And sometimes they'll be like, wait a minute, looking at your history, that's not right. We can kind of get you in this week. That's, that's what they should be telling you. Like, based on your pain level, we need to see you soon because of your history and even not on your history that's something new you have you you know ever experienced a type of pain before no and that's that's the kind of that's what I like to hear you need to see me this week and you might have to over exaggerate a little bit just a little bit most times my pain is seven to eight or or nine and ibuprofen was not hitting it so I, I knew I had to either I didn't want to go to the ER <laughs> I wanted to go to my doctor so I would kind of take ibuprofen to kind of hold me over until I got to my primary care or my gynecologist because I feel comfortable with talking to them um, about my health versus going to an ER doc that I don't have an established relationship with. Moving from the University of South Florida, you know, what was next for you? Um, it took me a long time to, to wrap my head around what did I want to get it in. Um, I know there is the uh, Doctor of Public Health program, and I think that's just an extension of the MPH program, not to say that um, it's, it's not something that I wanted to do, but I think considering the, the climate that we're in right now in America, I wanted to focus a lot on behavioral and mental health. So considering that public health is broad, it includes behavioral health and mental health as well um, as a focus. So I started steering towards behavioral health and also considering that um, my personal situations with um, anxiety and depression. I, I wanted to know why do we go have a deep blue state, you know, once we get there? How, how do you talk to people to bring them up out of it? You know what I mean? Like, how do you communicate with people to let them know it's okay. What is, you know, how is mental health, how is that associated with physical health? Um, so I wanted to explore that whole world. It's, and it's very, it's not different, but I'm learning new technology and terms and concepts, which um, I like because that's a part of the research. So right now I'm working on um, my doctorate degree in behavioral health at Arizona State University. Awesome, awesome. So I, I want to ask, looking back over your academic career and your life experiences, uh, what advice would you give your younger self? Don't give up so easily. Um, I think I think when I was hit with that one challenge, I just kind of was like, okay, that's it. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, wait a minute, you know, get yourself up, you know, you know, 
you know you, you know what what God can do you know your grandma say hey let me send you some scriptures today to kind of you know help you stay encouraged and I'm like I'm gonna read them scriptures but I'm not gonna read them scriptures <laughs> but um I read them and um basically it was saying don't you know pretty much don't give up on God or don't give up on yourself so easily when you're hit with a, a obstacle or a challenge come up kind of take a beat and slow it that's pretty much kind of telling you slow slow down a little bit and kind of um, figure out a way you could navigate it safely, um, making the right decision. So knowing what you can control and what you can't control, I think that'll help the, 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 a person from being, easy, from being easily overwhelmed. Um, and I think that was me, I shut down because I said, oh, here I am on my timeline. You know, I was skating real fast and then boom, you telling me to sit down so I gave up for a little bit. I was like, okay, I'll just go ahead and withdraw from school. That's fine. That's, you know, that's what you guys want me to do. I see what you're doing, but I didn't do that. So um, my younger self, I would say, don't give up so easily and keep going, uh, trusting God and leaning into him more. As I got older, I like lean, I'm, like Jesus help me like I need you every second of the day I think when I was younger I, I wasn't doing all of that I was just like yeah yeah I hear you you know but I'm gonna still do my thing um, and that's probably why I probably kind of crashed or wanted to give up so easily because I, I I was leaning onto my own understanding like I got it but Jesus got it but no I got it I'll take it from here and he like no give me the steering wheel like <laughs> trying to be in control of things I don't need to be in control of I think God is so intentional. Just thinking about being in this flesh, in this in this body that we have on this earth, we feel that we have so much control over everything. Mm-hmm. Like anything, you wake up in the morning, it's your choice to work out or not. You know, it's your choice to get in a car and put gas in. You know, it's your choice to let it go on e. But it's those things that we can't explain that we have no control over that pull us closer to him. You know what I mean? Those mm-hmm. adversities, those those setbacks, those wake up calls, you know. Um, and I think you hit on that. I wanna I wanna ask you a question about about God's timing. You know what I'm saying? What does that mean to you? Ooh, you would ask me a question. I'm practicing that right now, just trusting in his timing. That is timely, <laughs> that question. <laughs> God is not a failure, right? Sometimes I think with me, as I mentioned earlier, I like things to go on my timeline, like low key behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'll say out of my mouth, oh, God's timing is better. But then applying that, I'm just like, wait a minute, that's hard. Um, <laughs> so what it looks like to me is um, being willing to live without what he hasn't given you yet. Um, so understanding that if he hasn't given, given it to you the way you want it or how you want it, is not necessarily him saying no. Of course, it's just him saying not right now, but he's gonna give you the strength to live without it until he's ready for you to have it. That makes sense. Oh yeah. Okay, so that's where I'm at now. So going through the wilderness, um, trusting God, having faith, enjoying, enjoying God on the journey, experiencing his fullness and of who he is. Um, and he'll give, he'll give you what you need on his timing and, and trusting him with that because he already know what you need. So me talking to myself, I'm talking to myself right now. Um, so he knows what you need 
before you even think you you think you know what you need. Um, so if he hasn't given it to you yet, it's not necessarily him saying he doesn't want you to have good things or, um, you know, something that's going to make you uh, and keep you encouraged or anything like that. He's just saying not right now um, because maybe he's trying to still, you know, build my character um, for it. Or uh, maybe he's trying to move some things out the way that he might not wanted me to be involved with, right? So his protection. So he'll move people out your way. Um, he'll disrupt. He has disrupted quite a bit these past two weeks. Um, so I've been rerouting. You know how Siri say re rerouting, recalibrating. Um, <laughs> I've been doing that for the past two weeks. I'm like, okay, girl. All right, all right, Jesus. I, okay. Let me sit down, look, until I just say, I trust you, you know, have your way at this mm -hmm. point. Because I didn't ask for none of that to happen. You know, and these are things that just kind of pop up out the blue. Um, and it, it, it disrupts you. So I have to, I had to accept that although, and I, I post, I made a status about this on Facebook, but um, he might change his method or his strategy, but he didn't change his mind. So mm -hmm. I just accept the fact that he can disrupt anything, you know what I mean? And that's, he, he can do what he wanna do. I don't have any control over that. So that's again, that control thing that I had an issue with. So he he's letting me know consistently, I'm in control, I got it. Yeah. I just need you to sit down, be patient, <laughs> and let me handle your lightweight and your heavyweight. <laughs> So to put it in the context uh, for the listeners, thinking like uh, the macro level, the big picture is, you know, trusting in God. But at the micro level, the smaller day-to-day -day, uh, level is trusting the process. So our podcast is called The Process Podcast. So what does trusting the process mean to you? Being able to accept that God has you as you go through the wilderness and in the valley and just trusting him and being patient actually being patient that can be a, it can be a little difficult because we want things uh and on our timing so understanding that his timing is is perfect i think is trusting him that's what trusting the process means so trusting him knowing that he's going to be with you every step of the way as you go through your dark times or your your light or good times he's going to be with you um you just have we have to be patient um, and trust his timing. His timing, like his timeline, I think that's just a whole episode for my personal life. <laughs> um, his timing is gonna be is like the best timing ever, and whenever that is, it you know, I think that's what you know trusting the process means. You got to go through through something to you know get to what he has for you. So if this, you know, if recalibrating and rerouting is a part of the process or disrupting my timeline or, you know, whatever your timeline might be, if that's a part of the process, I'm going to trust him with that because he know what he's doing, right? Oh, yeah. So that's, yeah, trusting God and enjoying him. So that's what I'm doing. Just enjoying, enjoying the ride while I let him drive the boat. <laughs> <laughs> So I want to thank you for uh, joining us on the podcast and sharing your story. Uh, do you have any lasting words that you want to leave with the listeners? I want to let everyone know. Um, I know we're in um, a pandemic right now. It's probably got us all over the place, but um, stay focused. I know some of the things that I do, I meditate. Um, 
and I spend a time with God in the morning when I wake up to kind of get my mind right before I do anything or actually before I put my foot on the carpet or whatever you have, hardwood floors, but make sure you spend that one-on-one time with um, whoever your higher power is. I know for me, it's God. So um, make sure you do that and, it, and say positive affirmations every morning um, or throughout the day. Um, and he'll communicate with you. Stay lifted, stay encouraged, um, stay inspired. Um, so where can the listeners find you, you know, to tap into what you have, your movement and your blog and things like that? So my IG handle is I am Janika. Um, my blog is JanikaHarris.com. I put the blog post on hold um, because I was working on my speech for tonight. Thank you, Amante. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I'm on Facebook too. You can, um, my name Janika Harris, J-A-N-I-C-K-A. You can follow me on any platform, Instagram or Facebook. But yeah, you guys can, we can connect. Um, I will be launching my business next month. Um, and I'm excited about that. I'm still fleshing things out and I'm in a branding phase um, right now with my uh, local designer. So that information is forthcoming and I'll be sharing a, a much of that on my blog and on my social media platform. So this episode was brought to you by Overcome Achieve Clothing. Allow what you have overcome to fuel the flame of persistence as you face and conquer your next challenge. Wear your truth, overcome. I think the main thing for me was trying to decide on who am I and like what I want to be and how I want to be remembered. Like that was my thing. You know, oftentimes I think about like my legacy and like the mark that I want to leave, not only on the industry, but the effect that I want to leave on people. Being a whole human being, going through my obstacles, going through the things that I'm going through and not to only broadcast these things, but for it to inspire change.